Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Mike the Gardener podcast, sponsored by those lovely people at Natural Grower, who supply plant-based products for both organic and chemical-free gardening and your houseplants. Hello everybody and welcome back to another brilliant episode of the Mike the Gardener podcast. I'm your host Mike Palmer and it's lovely to be here again this week. Now you did hear me right, I did describe this episode as being brilliant and it's brilliant for a couple of good reasons. First and foremost, today we are talking about one of our favourite garden plants, roses. I know we all love a good rose in our garden, don't we? Well, there may be a few out there who aren't so keen, but I think I speak for the majority of us when I say we love roses. And the second reason this is a brilliant episode is because I'm talking to PR and project manager from Roses UK, Marilyn Stevens. Now, Roses UK oversee the very popular Rose of the Year competition. And in this fascinating episode, Marilyn tells me everything that's involved with the Rose of the Year. And there's loads. Honestly, there's so much information. And I've been in gardening and horticulture for quite a few years, uh, but have to admit to not knowing exactly how much did go on in deciding the winner. And I know you'll be absolutely amazed. It's a delightful and fascinating chat and so much information. I started by asking Marilyn how she got into gardening and more importantly, roses. I would say it goes back to my childhood. Uh, My mum was a keen gardener and my grandfather was a professional gardener and he was a park keeper actually on Hailing Island and in his garden because he lived in the park as park keepers used to do um, he had some fabulous roses and we are going back to the 1950s when the style was hybrid tea roses in a bed with nothing else and they were very much admired by passers-by so roses have been in my sort of background for a very long time and then when I got my own garden about 30 years ago they had to be there I had to have some that had sentimental attachments that I remember from my childhood. But also, um, at that time, I was the editor for the Rose magazine for the Royal National Rose Society. And I came to that through my studio, because I'm a graphic designer. Okay. And so it started with the doing work for the Rose Society, of uh, doing the graphics for their magazine, and then being the picture editor and then becoming the editor. So it was drawing me in to roses, basically. So right from a very early age, that sort of those roses appeared very early in your life and continue to weave in and out of your career. They do. And I consider myself so fortunate to... Uh, work in an industry with something that I really love so it's work but I don't look at it in that way. So maybe a silly question but what was the attraction with roses? We all love roses but what for you drew you in? I think it's the fragrance, it's the fact that um, they are very resilient plants uh, particularly if you choose the right varieties Mm -hmm. And they go on for a long time. You can have a rose plant in your garden for 
30, 40 years maybe. Yeah. It's a good idea to look after it well. Um, but they they have uh, longevity. And I realise over time, sometimes they've become not quite so fashionable in a garden. But I think a garden without a rose in it is lacking. Yeah, and I think they're always in the top five when they do these sort of like top five plants that we we gardeners like. They're generally in the top five, aren't they? They are, they are. And uh, when we were at the Hampton Court Flower Show with the Festival of Roses marquee, the marquee was always something that came out as being one of the big visitor attractions mm. at the show with the roses. And it would be packed with people. And you'd see people going around with their trolleys crashing into people's ankles <laughs> oh, don't, don't go there with the trolleys <laughs> with me <laughs> um and generally there's a rose in there yeah so in your own garden then what are some of those roses that you've got that sort of like hark back to your earlier days when your grandfather was in the parks well i have uh elberic barbier yes which yeah. is uh, a rambler rose and i remember that from my childhood uh in the garden at home and I'm really pleased to have it. It's quite a challenge because it is a big rose, but I wouldn't not have it, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't have any of the varieties that my grandfather would have had because he would have had roses that were very popular in the 50s and 60s, which would be the hybrid tea roses, mm. which for a lot of people have got sentimental attachments which I really understand yeah but they are challenging to maintain so that the plant looks good you know you might have a lovely flower but the plant might look a bit sad yeah because hybrid tea roses bred at that time their health is broken down over time and there is now more um, advanced breeding but I also have a lot of older roses I'm a great fan of the hybrid musk roses. Lovely, yeah. Which were bred by the Reverend Pemberton, which I think is a wonderful association <laughs> of this reverend. Um, Penelope, Cornelia, Felicia, lovely roses. Yeah. They grow quite big. I let mine go, basically. I, I'm not a very controlling gardener. I'm a... Let it get let, on. Let and, it get on. And yeah. A very sort of relaxed look. A light touch. Yes. And obviously after he died, his uh, gardener, uh, Bentle, carried on the breeding. So mm. there are some lovely hybrid moss roses, which quite often people are unaware of. And they're very healthy. They were ahead of their time when they were bred. Yeah. I, I have some of those in my own garden. Superstar, uh, Zephyrine Druhan sentimental reasons we'll move on very quickly <laughs> so roses uk yes. tell us about roses uk how was that set up when was it set up and why was it set up well it was set up um i would say at the sort of the end of the 90s as a marketing venture for rose breeders and rose growers because there was at one time the uh, British Rose Growers Association, and then there is also uh, the British Association of Rose Breeders, and they sort of came together for marketing purposes to okay. promote modern roses. And there isn't a Rose Growers Association in quite the same way now mm. as there once was, but the Association of Rose Breeders is still going strong, 
and that is what uh, finances and manages Roses UK. So what is what do you do? What did what is the job that you do with Roses UK? Well, my role is PR and marketing and project management. Right. So, for instance, when we uh, were working at the Festival of Roses, my role would be to coordinate the design of the marquee, um, working with the RHS, deciding what sort of theme we might have, because at that time, theming was extremely popular. Mm. So we might have a vintage theme or a romantic theme or an Italianate theme. But uh, nowadays, it is more in marketing and social media because we feel we're reaching more people one-to-one and building relationships. What's the best part of your job? What do you enjoy the most when you come into work of a Monday morning? And is it quite a varied job? I would imagine it is. Uh, It is varied. Uh, I I think I would say that what I like the most is getting to meet people to talk about roses. Yeah. Roses, to me, are a plant that need to be celebrated, appreciated. Don't fret over them too much, you know, because I think gardens are... It's a privilege to have a garden. It is, yeah. You know, yeah. and to have the money to spend on a garden. Yeah. You know, some people will struggle to do that and yeah. they might like to do it. So I suppose I do regard it as quite a privilege to talk to people that share my interest in gardening and in roses specifically. And I love promoting a new variety, particularly if I really love it. <laughs> well, now that's that's the, the point, I guess, is like we all have things within gardening that we love, but there must, I guess, occasionally come along a rose that, for whatever reason, doesn't quite tick the box for you. But you've obviously still got to go out to of market course. that for the breeder. Of course. And... Um, I don't find that difficult because I know that choosing that rose of the year isn't a sort of random, you know, take a rose name out of a hat. Mm. There's a lot has gone into it. Uh, A lot has gone into uh, the breeding of the rose initially. The breeder has thought it it is of um, good enough quality, interesting enough to put it into the Rose of the Year trials, which go on for some time. Um, And they're also, particularly if it's a rose that they really rate, they're delaying introducing that into commerce because the rose cannot be in commerce before it becomes Rose of the Year. Right, so let's talk very in detail about Rose of the Year. I've been to the Chelsea Flower Show, I've been to Hampton Court, I've seen the Rose of the Year, but I've never really thought about the process, how a rose becomes Rose of the Year, how does that process start, who gets involved. So tell us, well, where should we start with it? How long has Rose of the Year been running? It has been running since, I'm going to have to look at my notes here, since 1982. Okay. And that first Rose of the Year was a Harkness variety called Mountbatten. So who and how did Rose of the Year start? Why did it start? Who was behind this initiative? It was, I would say it was really the breeders and growers who wanted to make um, the buying public more aware of modern rose varieties. Mm. Um, Because it's quite, there are so many roses on the market. How do you choose? 
and the rose of the year is is a celebration of roses but it's also saying this is a really good rose and and it was something that pulled the rose trade together to work together because when the rose is introduced it's introduced for the whole trade not just that breeder mm. the breeder obviously is acknowledged yeah but it's something that is industry wide nobody is um permitted which sounds a bit strict <laughs> but nobody is permitted to try and push it out early basically right. because it's for everybody so any breeder can enter the rose of the year competition they can it's any breeder who is a member of the association of rose breeders in the uk right and that will be uh, uk rose breeders but there are some of the uh, members of the association are breeders agents so they bring in they are representative for say weeks from america um cordes a german rose company uh, mayon french rose company they are members of the association as well albeit that they're not british british uh, so the criteria is that you have to be a member of the association basically and you decide what rows you would like to enter into the competition. You're invited to enter and you send uh, Budwood to the trial stations. And there are various trial stations which are professional growers around the country. You send them Budwood. What is Budwood? Budwood is the tiny bud which uh, is grafted onto a rootstock yeah. from which the, the rows will grow. And most growing in the UK is done in that way. Okay. So we have this, uh, it's the graft, on, and the, is there a scion? Um, What's the, the root stock? Maybe I'm getting too... Well, the root, um, I don't want to get too complicated, but there's a, there are different types of root stock, and they're obviously very robust. Yeah. And they're planted first, and they sort of grow up. And then in the summer, there's what's called budding. That's, yes. And, and they go, these amazing people who are prepared to be bent double all day <laughs> go out and they attach the tiny buds through a, a cut in the uh, stem, in, in the stem yeah. and they sort of uh, tape it on That's sort it, of thing, yeah. and then that grows away and then the rootstock which has some growth that is cut back or headed back and now the buds start to grow so most plants that you will buy bare root or even container grown will be budded onto rootstock. I'm just going back to my college days a hundred years ago I and I remember the theory behind this. I've not actually done it. I'm, no, we, we no, were given I demonstrations but I haven't done it and I don't intend to do <laughs> no, it. It's just <laughs> nice to go out and actually buy the finished product. Uh, yes, yes, I leave that to the experts. So So the, yeah. So these trials uh they're planted up and uh, they run for two years, basically. And during that time, uh, they're judged at the end of the first year and then at the end of the second year. And um, what are they judged on? What, what are they looking for in those initial years? Well, what they're looking for is obviously how well the plant grows. Yeah. Um, it's health, mm. because we do think that health is very important these days because yeah. there are many, many people who want to garden organically. They don't want to be spraying roses with chemicals. So we're looking for health. You're looking for the shape of the plant uh, so that it's pleasing. And of course, 
possibly one of the most important, well, the most important thing is the flower. Mm. Mm. So you're looking for a flower that's a good shape, that holds its petals well, and that's fragrant, and that will repeat well too. Okay. So that you don't just get one flush, that mm-hmm. it will come back. If you deadhead it, it will come back. So those are the most important attributes. But also the growers are looking for a plant that they think is commercially viable. So you might be looking for a slightly different colour. Um, you'll be looking for something that's going to look good in a container. Mm-hmm. Because nowadays, most plants are sold in containers. Yeah. You know, the biggest amount of plants will go out from nurseries or garden centres in the summer. Although you can obviously, and we do say, try bare roots. Yeah. You know, it's yeah, a bit very, cheaper yeah. and actually they grow really, really well, well too. Um, so those are the attributes that you're looking for. And so that trial will last for two years. The roses are judged on a point system. Um, it's very, it's very democratic. You know, there's there's no favoritism, and if it turns out to be that somebody won last year's rose of the year and then they win it, the, you know, the next year, that's fine because you've chosen what you think in that trial is the best rose of the year. It's not a case of. Oh, it's your turn to have a rose of the it's year. It's all down to the quality of it's that rose. It's down to that rose. It is totally down to the rose. So when the breeders send this budwood in for the trials, they will obviously have been growing this in their own sort of yes. environment to check the health. And so they, they think that they're onto a, a winning rose when they yes. submit it. So And then two years down the line, they do this trial. That's right. I mean, for uh, I think a good example is the current rose of the year. It's a Wonderful Life, mm. which we know was bred by Colin Dixon in 2012. Goodness. So that's when he first bred the rose from pollination and little seedlings, and he thought it was really good. So he submitted that rose to the trial for 2022, and that trial began in 2016. Right. This is quite a, a long drawn out it process. It's a very isn't long it? drawn out process. You've got to be patient. Yeah. <laughs> I guess in my naivety, I assumed that someone just said, Oh, that's a lovely rose. We'll make that rose of the year. So this is really interesting. So there's a, a long lead in time. Then you've got the two year trials. And then at that point, that's when decisions are made. Yes. That decision is then made. So the decision for It's a Wonderful Life to be. Rose of the Year it was made in 2018. It didn't have its name then, it just had its breeder's prefix. Okay. And at that point, the larger commercial growers are supplied budwood by the breeder so that they can get ahead and start um, budding. So in 2019, they would have received budwoods and they will then start to bud plants that will become mother plants. Right. Which I think is, sounds yeah, so it's nice, lovely, isn't, it? isn't it? lovely? <laughs> this is another plant. And from that, that enables them to cut more budwood because it's no good introducing a rose of the year and saying, well, we've only got 500. Yes. <laughs> you know, we have to have thousands. Yeah. And in, because it's industry-wide, you know, people have got to be able to buy them to sell in a garden centre or, you know, a rose nursery or what have you. So... That budwood goes out and they start to grow the plants. 
and then we will finally introduce the rose of the year for as i say for 2022 we introduced it's a wonderful life in the summer of 21 Right, so many questions, Marilyn. Can we just go back? So when you've got the trials, who are the people who are responsible for saying this is the rose of the year? Is it a group of people across the country? Yes, it is. It's it's the growers yeah. who are themselves um, growing the plant. They mark it and send the marks through to my colleague, Ian, right. who is the general manager for the rose breeders. Yeah. They send him the marks. Um, there's a... Uh, there's one or two places where they actually invite the public you know perhaps they might be coming in to look around their rose fields Mm. they will invite them to come and have a look and so they can take part as well so it's like the old strictly thing you've got the public vote going in as well with the professional sort of judges you have i would say the professional vote is the greater yeah um which i think is important because there are so many, there's so many facets to this. It's not just oh, isn't that a pretty flower? It's yeah. you know, how's it? How does it? How well does it grow? Mm. And from a commercial point of view, for the bigger growers who are going to be sending out so many plants on trolleys, you know, how good does it look in a container? Mm. Uh, that is going to go into a garden centre, and it's going to sit in that garden centre sometimes for six weeks two months maybe you know how's it going to look is it going to is it going to stay looking lovely obviously it'll be down to how well it's looked looked after after, uh, which is a separate issue but all of those things have to be considered because it's it's commercial Mm. it it doesn't it's not like putting something in your own garden and oh well that didn't work out you know i'll dig it up Mm. there's so much invested in this exactly really so the rose of the year has been selected at what point then does the naming come into this rose that has been selected generally uh, in the sort of year or so after it's been selected the breeder has the final say on what the rose is called he will sometimes uh consult with myself and with ian Mm -hmm. uh, about what might be a good name but ultimately, it's up to the breeder for what he wants to call the rose, because although it's industry wide, that rose always belongs to him, obviously. And can there be a duplication of a name? Has there ever been the same named rose or do they have like pop, like pop stars and actors? That name is registered and it can't be repeated. Well, it's the most important thing about rose naming is the fact that the name itself is is a commercial name what protects the rose is the breeder's name so for instance colin dixon all the roses he has bred have got the prefix dic dick right and then over the years he runs through the alphabet and you'll see these names in very small print yeah on a, you should see it on, on the a label. label yeah sometimes it isn't but yeah. it should be it on should a be label. there yeah and that that is the identifier for that rose anywhere in the world that it may be grown because the name that you have like it's a wonderful life as an example Mm -hmm. that may be the name that is known as in the uk only oh but 
it, that same identifying n- number ident- identification will appear on the label, but it could be called something else in America. It, exactly. So, for instance, there was a Rose of the Year, um, absolutely fabulous, which is bred by Weeks. Mm. In America, that rose is known as Julia Childs. Wow. That's confusing. That that surprises me because I guess that although it's got this identification number or code, that it would have the same name worldwide. No, because a name of a rose, if you think about it, is a commercial thing. Yeah. Really. I mean, ultimately, I think with rose, I, I think with any naming for plants, it's... It's a it's a subjective thing, isn't it, really? Very much so, I mean, yeah. in a sort of way. What does it matter what it's called? <laughs> you, yeah, know? Yeah. you know, it doesn't really matter. Although I have to say, if there was a rose that had a name I really didn't like, I might struggle to plant it <laughs> in my own garden. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. but ultimate, because sometimes people say, oh, they will send me via social media a picture. And I really like this do you know what it's called? And it's very difficult to identify. From a picture, yeah. From a picture, really. Um, And if it's a case that you're asking that question because you want to go and buy it again, then it's relevant. Mm, mm. But if it's just what's it called... What does it matter? What does it matter? You know. Okay. How How many breeders enter the competition each year and can can they enter more than one rose or is it they, they just enter one rose each they can en- they can enter as many varieties as they want okay. so some might put in two or three mm-hmm. or four um the number of breeders will vary year to year you know some years there might be 20 varieties in the trial other years there might have been more than that so it will vary because it's not a it's not a rigid thing um it, it is very flexible from that point of view. And in terms of the types of rose, does it have to be a shrub rose or can it be a patio rose? Or a... It can be any type of rose. And uh, for an example of that, one of the most popular roses of the year was a little patio variety, Sweet Dream, which is still in commerce today. And that, that was bred by Gareth Fryer. So that's a patio We've had climbing roses. Uh, a few years ago, we had a climbing rose um, that was called um, Starlight Symphony, bred by Harkness. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've had shrub roses, absolutely fabulous. Rhapsody in Blue, yeah. which is yeah. a very well-known yeah. rose. Uh, that's a shrub, obviously. It can be a hybrid tea. It can be a floribunda. It can be a climber. Climbers are a, perhaps a little less popular because I think... The buying public is a bit more nervous about climbers. Um, So shrub roses are probably the most popular. So, yeah. So if you look over the history of the Rose of the Year, most of them are probably going to be shrub roses who come out as a winner. Yes. If if a breeder puts in a rose and it doesn't make the grade, can it be re-entered in subsequent years until... No, no. It's one hit. It's entered once and... I would sort of say all because a rose maybe doesn't get the rose of the year accolade. It doesn't mean to say that it's a rubbish rose. No. You know, because there'd be some cases where somebody would have put um, a variety into the trials 
and it's just pipped at the post, mm. you know, sort mm. of thing. Um, but that doesn't make it a poor rose. No. And so they'll say, well, I still think that's a good variety, and they'll put it into commerce. Yeah. But you're never going to say, this is a failed rose of the year <laughs> entrant. I, I entered the Miss World competition, but I didn't win. You know? You're a failure. <laughs> so I, I was going to ask, how do you know that it hasn't gone in before? But it will have this identification number at the point of... You have to rely on the honesty. But we know, I mean, Ian, um, who manages this, he's got an encyclopedic memory <laughs> of breeders' names. When it's in the trial, uh, when the roses are in the trial, they are in under a code name. So they nobody knows what who that variety is bred by. Right. Theoretically. Right, yeah. Literally, if you're a rose grower, if you're a professional rose grower, you know your roses. You know what mm. a rose from Cordes might be like. You know, perhaps yeah. you remember that, you know, the plant material has come from them or what have you with the code name. But uh, it won't be entered twice. Something that is interesting uh, about the trial is that there will be some varieties in there, for instance, like It's a Wonderful Life that hasn't been available anywhere in the world beforehand because it was a seedling. But somebody like Cordes um, or Weeks, which has entered through C&K Jones, who are a um, Barb rose breeder yeah, member, yeah. those roses will have been grown previously in Germany or in America or if it was Mayon in France. So they won't be a seedling they will be a rose that has done really well in Germany. Yeah, yeah. And they think, oh, that will do well in the UK. And so they enter it into the trial. So I'm a breeder. I've put my rose in. It's been deemed rose of the year. What is the impact then upon the, the breeder and the sales of that rose, how much more would you expect that rose to maybe outsell something that hasn't been entered and been successful? Is there a, a significant impact? There, There is in the early years, yeah. yes, because there is um, obviously a bigger push with publicity for a rose of the year um, because the industry is pushing it, because I'm pushing it through Roses UK and saying this rose is available from a garden centre, from a rose nursery, perhaps from a multiple, mm. you know, a multiple store, that kind of thing. So you're going to sell more because a rose breeder generally, when they first introduce a rose, if they're a sort of breeder and grower, they'll, and that rose isn't in isn't a rose of the year they're going to introduce it but they're going to keep it to themselves yeah and so they're going to have an exclusive for a period of time mm, mm. Um, and they won't they won't give a license for anybody else to grow it perhaps for a few years so that they get you know they get the cells all of the cells themselves where a rose of the year is available to any professional grower in the UK to grow and sell so since 1982, has there been a Rose of the Year every year? Have yes. there ever been, like with COVID, that we had to miss a year? Or there's no, always no, been... we've carried on regardless. <laughs> the true British 
keep going. Well, that's what I like to hear. Spirit, yes, we keep going. We I mean, will not be defeated. I mean, one of the interesting things about the last two years for Roses UK is the way that we promoted the rose. Mm. Because up to 2019, from 2002 to 2019, we introduced the Rose of the Year at the Festival of Roses at the Hampton, Hampton Court, Court Show. Yeah. Um in the Rose Marquee and it had its own display by Roses UK and we got fabulous coverage. It would get a bit of TV coverage, maybe a bit of press coverage. People would come and see it. But COVID put a stop to that because there were no shows. So at the beginning of 2020, we started really focusing on marketing through social media, advertising, just doing things differently and I actually think we've reached more people in that way. Wow, the power of social media. Yes, yes, because I think you can have more, strangely enough, although it's so wide-ranging and it's remote, you you can have a greater impact but when you're at a, a garden show like Hampton Court, you get a lot of attention for a new variety. It doesn't matter if it's a rose or any other plant. Yeah. There's a lot of attention. Yeah. But there's so much there. It's like being in a sweet shop, really, from mm. the gardener's mm. point of view. Yeah. And it's, oh, gosh, that's wonderful. Yeah. Oh, you know, so many, many lovely things to see. And the rose of the year may not be the only new rose that's introduced at the show because... The growers can introduce their own, their own, yeah. you know, sort of thing. And we would have a press reception uh, that was uh, that I used to um, manage and present. That would be for all of the new roses, and the ultimate would be rose of the year. But if you think about it, it's a case that you leave the show and people forget what they've seen at a show. Yeah, yeah. You know, we would. Um, we would sell the Rose of the Year at the show, but we'd only have a limited number of plants because those plants have been bought on for display purposes and for the show. Um, But once you... I'm sort of under no illusion that once you leave a garden show... That's it, yeah. Your moment has sort of gone. It's gone, really. And, And it's also the fact that we're working in advance... We introduce it in 2021 because it's in flower. Mm. Because it's very hard to sell a rose when it's not in flower. They don't look their best, you know. That's when we go to a garden centre. We tend to buy, and I guess that's the thing with bare root roses. I will buy bare root because I know the story and how it will unfold. But for a non-gardener or somebody with less experience, you're looking at basically a piece of... A stick. A stick. Yeah. A stick with some roots on. What yes. on earth is that going to do? Yes. Have in the, in the history of Rose of the Year, have there been any particular standout roses that have done phenomenally well? Uh, Sweet Dream, which I mentioned earlier. Yeah. Uh, and, and why was that? What were the qualities of that rose? Because it was a patio variety. Fits in a pot. Fits at the front of a border. Yeah. Very neat little plant. It doesn't frighten anybody. You know, it's not like, oh, gosh, how am I going to prune this? That remains popular to this day. If you're 
if you're sort of chosen as a Rose of the Year, you never lose your title. Mm. You know, you'll always be Rose of the Year for that year. Uh, subsequent Rose of the Year that I think have been very popular and continue to be popular, absolutely fabulous. Yeah. Um, that is a week's variety. That is still very popular. Rhapsody in Blue. Uh, because of its unusual blue tone colour. We'll come back to that in a moment. Yes. Um, champagne Moment, bred by Cordes. Very healthy rose, lovely pale ivory colour. Very robust, grows quite tall. Yeah. Uh, sunny Sky, another Cordes variety. Uh, Sunset Boulevard, a climber, bred by Harkness. There are, there are so many. How important... How important is the name, do you think? Or is that incidental? I know we talked about this earlier, people want to know what the name of the rose is, but when it actually comes to promoting a new rose... It, I think it does help if you've got a good name. Yeah. Um, Rhapsody in Blue is an excellent name, yeah. in my opinion. It's a Wonderful Life. That was chosen, um, and we had to get permission from... Uh, the film company uh, who own the original film, It's a Wonderful Life, to be able to use the name. Oh, really? Uh, because of the connection. It's, yeah, but it's, yeah. not, it's not connected in any other way other than the fact that we have permission to use the name It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah, I guess that's why that surprised me, because it's not as if you're actually taking something from the film. You're just naming a rose... It's After its title, yes, yeah. Yeah. And so that was actually, I have to say, I mean, that was chosen in 20, back in 2018. Yeah. That was decided quite quickly. And from a personal point of view, I was a little bit worried about announcing it last year because so many people were not having a wonderful, a wonderful life year, yeah, wonderful last life, yeah. year. And I felt, per and this is very much a personal thing, but I just, I was very aware of that, that mm. you're saying, oh, here's this lovely rose. It's called It's a Wonderful Life. But also remembering for some people, you know. It wasn't. It wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't a wonderful time for many, many people. Mm. Um, so, but it's a lovely name. And yeah. it suits the rose. Uh, and it is a celebration. It, really. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. Um, we touched on blue, Rhapsody in Blue. Yes. Now, as I remember that, isn't that a purpley? It's, uh, yes. Uh, yeah. It, How would you describe the colour? Well, it's a sort of deep purple and the petals fade to a sort of slaty bluish tone. Yeah. And it's quite unusual at the time when it was introduced, the sort of blue-toned roses uh, were of interest there's never been a blue, a true blue, blue rose. rose. Um, although you've had blue moon, yeah. twice in a blue moon, and mm. there are now other blue tone roses. But that was very unique and it's got a nice perfume as well. Mm. Uh, I think we actually, uh, Ian actually arranged for uh, the perfume from that rose to be extracted for promotion for the year that it was launched. So we had little bottles of perfume from Rhapsody oh, okay. in Blue. Oh, clever. Yeah. <laughs> We've also had chocolates <laughs> with other things. Um, but it was, it was, 
it's very still very popular. And one of the interesting things I think about Rhapsody in Blue is the fact that it's bred by an amateur. Oh, so who, amateur breeders can but, still go into this, so long as they're part of the British Association. Yes, they're of... represented by a professional breeder. Right, yeah. But okay. the breeder um, of Rhapsody in Blue, a chap called um, Frank Cowlishaw, uh, he's bred some fabulous roses, and he is classed as an amateur. I'd call him anything but amateur, <laughs> quite honestly. Um, that is something very special, you know, uh, about that rose. There's always something, I think, that is interesting about rose breeding, and the, and the, it's very interesting. I find it very interesting to dig and find out a little mm. bit about background or, or such things. And I I know we've said all the way through this how important fragrance is, but has a non-fragrant rose ever topped the rose of the year? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's done that because of its health and the flower form. And it will still be picked, you know, as the rose of the year. Um, There will always be a slight scent, but obviously it's preferable if there's a strong scent it's a wonderful life has a lovely scent but what is interesting the breeder colin dixon who does not have a very good sense of smell he <laughs> <That's> unfortunately <laughs> unfortunately he will say well it hasn't got much fragrance and we say but colin it's got a fabulous fragrance you know? um just picking up on this blue rose thing um are we will there ever be a true blue rose is that is it are we looking for something that's never going to happen, do you think? And, and it's not just roses. There's quite a few plants we look for this true blue. I, I don't think I really have enough breeder knowledge to yeah. answer that accurately. I do remember from the time when I was uh, editing the Rose magazine for the Society that there was a lot of work in Japan where they did manage to genetically modify a rose using enzymes from liver to Ooh, actually uh, create quite a blue-looking rose. Yeah. So there's a lot around that are purpley veering towards a sort of pale blue. Um, there's a few Persica hybrids that have, uh, look blue, look bluer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. can say, I'm not actually sure that blue suits the colour of roses mm. somehow. Well, yes, I I share that as well. I think blue is a strange colour to put into a garden. It doesn't sit comfortably, for whatever reason, it seems to jar a little bit for me. Well, I think that blue is a very good companion colour because I think any roses, we we talked earlier about um, back in the 50s and 60s, how popular it was to have a rose garden and you didn't have anything at the feet of the roses. It was Mm. just bare soil. Personally, Mm. I hate that. Um, I want to have something around the ankles of my roses because they're very beautiful flower, nice plant form, but they're, you know, their ankles are just not good. What what are your suggestions for, and I'm the same, I like to have something around the base. Any suggestions that you, sort of like great part, planting partners? The hardy geraniums yeah. are very good. Um, also um, the, the napitas, the catmints, they're yeah. very good. Um, because they 
they don't mind the conditions that the roses like. Roses like to get their feet well down mm. into the ground. And I know that people will often plant lavender with roses, but lavender prefers a drier environment, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah, free draining soil. Free draining yeah. soil where roses, where I live, uh, I have clay and the roses do oh, you're so lucky. <laughs> they do extremely well because once they get going, yeah. they get their roots well down mm. and they're really happy. But that soil um, is more challenging yeah. for perennials because they can't go down quite so far. Yeah. So I do look for tougher plants. Uh, the Alcamilla mollis yeah. is really good. Um, Euphorbia. Euphorbia robii yeah. um, under roses looks tremendous if you can be bothered to cut off all those flower heads <laughs> <laughs> later in the year. Um, but it looks fabulous in sort of early June if you've got early flowering roses like the hybrid masks. The sort of limey green is very complementary mm. underneath a rose plant. Yeah, I have, I'm just thinking, I've got Princess Anne underplanted with Geranium Brookside. And for me, that combination always puts a smile on my face. Yes. Uh, yeah. So and I think when we talk about blue, I do think blue is a very good companion yeah. colour. And, you know, for annuals, um, Love in the Mist, which I think I bought a packet of seeds of Love in the Mist about 12 years ago. <laughs> and it's... I love it because it's all over the garden. Yeah. And Erigeron as yeah. well, the daisy. Yeah, lovely. Um, those sort of things, I think, around the base of the plant are very complementary. But the blues particularly because of the contrast. The blue contrasts really well with pinks and peaches and yellows. I don't go down the red route myself. No. But it works very well with the softer colours. So where can we see you this year? Which which flower shows will we see you at? Hampton Court, obviously. Not this year. Oh, not this year. I think quite possibly uh, we may have hung up our exhibitor hats for the time being, which is quite sad. Yeah. Because we have such a fabulous time. Mm. But it's a huge commitment. Yeah. It's because you have to, if it's the Festival of Roses, we have to give up a whole week to be there mm, mm. Uh, it's also quite expensive to be an exhibitor oh, okay as well yeah, yeah. Um, so you're more likely to see us at smaller events okay. this year and so for rose of the year how far ahead are we now sort of like which roses have already been decided how we have decided up until 2026 goodness What's the rose of the year next year? I'm afraid I can't <laughs> disclose that. I do know. <laughs> I do know we've already got plants that we are uh, that are being bought on for us by one yeah. of our rosy pals. Mm. We've got the roots. We've got the root stock. We've got the bare root plants. They're being bought on so that we can introduce them uh, this summer. So look out for it on Instagram or Twitter. Your favourite social media platform, it will be there but, at some Yes, point. both of those platforms. Yeah. Uh, around the end of June, we haven't got a definite date at the moment. So that's when the announcement is made, yes, end of June. Yes, that's when it will be, and, and we'll, uh, we'll let you know then. But until then, my lips are sealed. <laughs> 
Marilyn, it's been a pleasure chatting to you. I've learned so much. Um, I really didn't realise how much was behind it, uh, the whole process, how long it took. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Well, I bet, like me, you were very surprised at how much work actually goes into deciding the rose of the year. I know when I visit Chelsea and Hampton Court later this year, I'll be looking at the rose of the year with a much better understanding of the competition. My thanks to Marilyn of Roses UK for taking time out of her busy schedule to come and chat with me today. So, what are your favourite roses? Why not drop me a line at the show's email address, mikethegardener01 at gmail.com, and that's Mike with an M-I-C. Or contact me directly via my Instagram account, Mike underscore the gardener, and that's Mike, M-I-K-E. And I'll read out some of your responses in the coming weeks. But in addition to telling me what your favourite rose is, tell me why. Is it because it reminds you of a family member, a friend or a loved one? Is it because of a childhood association? Or perhaps something completely different, but I'd be really interested in hearing from you. Well, as you can hear, I'm actually recording this in my own garden and I'm just looking at seeing how my roses are doing and they are budding up quite nicely now, so it won't be too long before they actually start flowering away. Oh, of course, I can hear you shouting out, what's your favourite rose? Well, I think my favourite rose has to be an old hybrid tea rose, Superstar, which reminds me of my lovely parents who were both great gardeners. It always brings a smile to my face when I see that rose (laughs) and it also brings looks of dismay on the faces of other gardeners and rose experts who see it as a rose riddled with diseases, but I love it. Anyway, have a great week everybody in your garden and I look forward to seeing you here next week. Bye bye for now. Bye bye.